Welcome to this reading of the Business Record, which is Central Iowa's Business Weekly. I'm Pat Steele. All material heard on IRIS is intended for the use of listeners with print disabilities. And here is our first story from the, from the November 30th, 2023 edition of the Business Record. Miniatures of Des Moines buildings are on display. The Des Moines Heritage Trust is hosting a Des Moines Miniature History Contest this weekend at the Des Moines Heritage Center. The event will feature several historic Des Moines buildings and a 30-foot model railroad set in the capital city. Eight scale model buildings, including the Des Moines Art Center, Terrace Hills, AEG Headquarters, Harlan's Barbershop, Reed's Ice Cream in Beaverdale, and the Iowa Women's Achievement Bridge will be on display and competing for cash prizes. Several of these models will be sold through a silent auction during the event to support the Des Moines Heritage Trust. The event, which is free, will take place at 120 East 5th Street in the East Village from 5 to 9 p.m. on Friday and again from 1 to 5 p.m. on Saturday. For more information, you can go to the website of DesMoinesHeritage.org. Elsewhere in the business record for this week, new mayor Connie Bolson says we want businesses to locate in downtown Des Moines. The mayor-elect wants vacant downtown spaces to be filled. This is a story by Kathy Bolton of the Business Record. Over 1 million square feet of office space is vacant in downtown Des Moines, according to CBRE Incorporated's third quarter market report. There are also empty retail spaces and a smattering of vacant lots and little-used surface parking lots. Des Moines Mayor-elect Connie Bozen wants to reach out to area real estate agents who are showing the spaces to potential tenants to find out what the city can do to help the agents close deals. She also wants to reach out to companies who are mulling relocating to new spaces. Bozen said during an interview with the Business Record, We need to bring all the major real estate people in and have a sit-down conversation about what spaces we have available to lease downtown and who do they have who has been asking about spaces. We also should explain what our economic development department can offer to help attract businesses to Des Moines. I don't know whether all the agents know what we can offer. Bozen, a current city council member, also said she is willing to help recruit businesses, both small and large, to downtown. When we have empty office space, we need to do everything that we can to build that tax base, Bozen said. I say we have to roll out the red carpet. We need to make it very clear that we want businesses to locate in downtown Des Moines. Bozen beat three other people vying to become Des Moines mayor in the November 7th election. She will replace Frank County, who did not seek re-election after serving as the city's mayor for 20 years. Bozen will be sworn into office on January 8th. Economic development was among Bozen's top campaign issues. She said she is willing to go outside of Iowa to recruit new businesses to Des Moines. Bozen said, we have a great place to live. In most cases, it is affordable. Des Moines is a community that offers you a lot of amenities, but you don't have the big city hassles. We have space downtown and we need to fill it. Next story is on Big Grove uh, with some grant applications for grants totaling uh, $48,000. Big Grove Brewery opened its grant application window this week for six grants totaling $48,000 that will be awarded to nonprofits in Polk Johnson and Lynn Counties. 
Nonprofits can apply for grants through December 31st and recipients will be selected by February 15, 2024. Charities that demonstrate how the donation will have a direct influence or are trying to get their nonprofit up and running will be provided special consideration according to a news release. Two organizations in each of the three counties will receive an $8,000 grant and work in partnership with Big Grove Brewery. The brewery's primary giving tenants focused on environmental, equity, and equality causes in neighborhood backyard nonprofits where tap rooms are located, according to the release. Big Grove awarded four $8,000 grants in, for the year 2023 to Ronald McDonald House Charities of Central Iowa, Central Iowa Shelter and Services, the Iowa City Free Lunch Program, and the Iowa City Coralville Boxing Club. And to apply for one of the grants, uh, that information is available on the Big Grove website. And now we move to the weekly column in the business record uh, about real estate transactions. And the lead story uh, on this article, apartment property in Johnston sold for $1.13 million. Kathy Bolton of the business record wrote this article. The Lawn Property LLC located in West Des Moines paid S&E Investments LLC $1.13 million for property at 4779 and 4809 Northwest 62nd Avenue in Johnston. Both properties include two-story apartment buildings constructed in 1967. Both buildings have seven apartment units. Both properties are each valued at $485,000. Elsewhere, Ying Yu of Coralville paid Azer Properties $1.5 million for property at 4508 University Avenue in West Des Moines. The property includes an 8,300 square foot building whose occupant is Laughing Crab Restaurant. The structure was built in 2007 and is valued at $1.45 million. Gerald and Kimberly Johnson paid Carl and Kimberly Droughts $1.46 million for property on Plum Thicket Lane in West Des Moines. The property includes a 3,500 square foot ranch style house built in 1995. Now switching over to Dallas County, Jason and Ailey Bramer paid Daniel and Courtney Flynn $1.8 million for property in Waukee. The 7.9 acre parcel includes a 2,700 square foot single story house that was built in 2019. Jeffrey and Kendra Logan paid Octavia 26 $2.65 million for property located on Ridge Road in Adele. The 21.2-acre parcel includes a 3,700-square-foot ranch-style house that was built in 2010. Elsewhere in Dallas County, real estate, Philip Moss paid Aaron and Chris Gillingham $1.25 million for property at 309 Painted Woods Drive in Waukee. The property includes a 2,700-square-foot house built in 2005. Brian and Kayla Purdy paid Gary and Ann Nordquist $1.2 million for property in West Des Moines. The property includes a two-story, 2,900-square-foot house built in 2013. And finally, Darren Harkins and Kayleen Rogers Harkin paid OMI-1260 $1.3 million for property located on South Wildfire Avenue in West Des Moines. The property includes a 3,100-square-foot single-family house whose construction was recently complete. 
Gary Lawson, founder of the Connect Foundation in the Iowa African American Hall of Fame, along with his daughter Celeste Lawson, president of the Connect Foundation, transferred custodianship of the IAAHF to the Des Moines Urban Experience. The Connect Foundation previously transferred total custody of IAAHF to officials at Iowa State University, with George Jackson selected as the primary official. After Jackson's retirement, Iowa State officials decided to only retain responsibility for hosting an Iowa African American Hall of Fame website, which features photos and information about inductees. Gary and Celeste Lawson said they believe that the Des Moines Urban Experience is the best choice for operating the Iowa African American Hall of Fame due to its proven history of annually presenting the Iowa Juneteenth observance in using the Iowa urban media to keep communities across Iowa informed, according to a news release. Initially, the Iowa African American Hall of Fame plans to induct up to six members per year starting in February 2024. The Iowa architectural firms were recently recognized by the American Institute of Architects Central States, which includes Iowa, Nebraska, Kansas, Missouri, and Oklahoma. The program honors design excellence within the states and elsewhere. The AIAIA, I'm sorry, the AIA Central States Jury, composed of Atlanta, Georgia architects, reviewed submissions from the five-state region. The Excellence in Design program is an annual event for architects who submit built and unbuilt projects for consideration. Local award winners include. Adaptive Royce Awards, 1201 Keelway, Des Moines by MA Architecture and Lincoln Savings Bank, Waterloo by Envision Architecture. Commercial awards went to Mid-American Energy Company Training Center for Excellence, and that's done by Envision Architecture, and that building is located in Adel. Interior Architecture Awards went to 711 High Street, Des Moines. It was done by OPN Architects. Large Commercial Awards, the University of Iowa Stanley Museum of Art, and that was done by BNIM Architects. The Polk County Criminal Courts, Des Moines by OPN Architects, and Force County Potawatomi Community Center, that's in Crandon, Wisconsin by RDG Planning and Design. Small Project Awards went to Lake Como Park Pavilion, Fort Worth, Texas, and that design was also done by RDG Planning and Design. Ag Express uh, completes its expansion of Des Moines facility. Uh, Ag Express Electronics provides custom electrical wire harnesses and agricultural electronic services, has completed an expansion and modernization of its facility, which is located on Northeast 14th Street, just north of Des Moines. The 28,000 square foot facility serves as the company's corporate headquarters and houses its manufacturing and repair center. A building permit valued at over $3.5 million was issued for the project in March 2022. Craig Murphy, Ag Express Electronics President, said in a prepared statement, With the completion of our expanded Des Moines facility, Ag Express is ushering in a new era of innovation and service excellence, reinforcing our commitment to American manufacturing. We are proud to play a role in supporting agriculture, the backbone of our nation's economy. The Des Moines facility has 68 employees. The expansion allowed the company to add 15 new positions with the ability to add 25 more jobs in the future. An open house is planned. 
on December 7th from 3 to 6 p.m. at the facility. Bank of America has named Ellipsis, a central Iowa provider of youth and family support services, as its 2023 Neighborhood Champions for its work advancing economic mobility and improving underserved neighborhoods in Iowa. Ellipsis will receive a $50,000 grant over two years in leadership training that will allow it to expand programs and service addressing health care needs and support services in underserved communities. As part of Bank of America's Neighborhood Builders Program, Ellipsis will have the opportunity to participate in virtual leadership training on topics including human capital management, increasing financial sustainability, and storytelling. The funding will help support a pilot program to provide direct care staff with leadership opportunities to return to school for clinical degrees. Chris Copland, the CEO of Ellipsis, said in a prepared statement, We believe the impact of the pilot program will increase our capacity to serve Central Iowa youth and support an internal culture that values the talent of our staff, builds a succession pipeline, and actively improves employee retention. Our objective is to look toward internal staff and leadership development as a core component of sustainability, advancing our mission, and providing critical community-based care. Knapp Properties CEO to Chair Greater Des Moines Hart Ball. Chris Costa, who's the President and CEO of Knapp Properties, was named the Community Volunteer Chairperson for the 2024 Greater Des Moines Hart Ball. The Hart Ball is part of the Heart of Greater Des Moines campaign, a year-round effort that aims to invest in, save, and improve lives throughout the Des Moines metro. Costa began his career with Knapp Properties in 1997, starting as Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer. Costa's community involvement includes working with the Greater Des Moines Partnership, Easter Seals of Iowa, Animal Rescue League of Iowa, and Icon Water Trails. The Greater Des Moines Heart Ball, scheduled for February 10, 2024, at the Community Choice Credit Union Convention Center in Des Moines, will focus on tackling CPR education and awareness to ensure more Iowans have the chance to live a full and healthy life, and that's according to a news release. Nominations are now open for the 2024 Iowa Volunteer Hall of Fame Awards. Volunteer Iowa has released nomination materials for the 2024 Iowa Volunteer Hall of Fame Awards. Nominations must be submitted online or postmarked by January 20, 2024, and honorees will be recognized during a special ceremony at the state capitol in April of 2024. Any Iowa individual, national service member, current or alumnus, family, group, organization, nonprofit, business, or corporation who has made a long-lasting positive and meaningful difference in the lives of people through their volunteer service activities may be nominated for the Iowa Volunteer Hall of Fame. Induction into the Iowa Volunteer Hall of Fame is the highest state-level honor that volunteers can receive, and details and nomination materials are available on the Volunteer Iowa website. Rural Main Street Index drops to its lowest level in over three years. The Rural Main Street Index fell below growth neutral for a third straight month to a 40.4 reading in November, its lowest mark since 2020 and a four-point dip from October's 44.4. Ernie Goss, Creighton University's Chair in Regional Economics, said in a prepared statement, 
This is the weakest recorded reading in more than three years or since June 2020, shortly after the beginning of the pandemic, and points to weaker farm and non-farm economies. After improving slightly from 41.4 in September to 43.5 in October, Iowa's Rural Main Street Index slumped to 32.4 in November. The index ranges between 0 and 100 with a reading of 50 representing growth neutral. Iowa's Farmland Price Index, however, soared from 45.9 in October to 62.0 in November, while its new hiring index for November improved to 45.1 from 44.2 in October. The export of agricultural products from the state declined from $1.7 billion for the first nine months of 2022 to $1.2 billion for the same period in 2023, and that's according to the International Trade Administration. The Business Confidence Index for the 10-state region sank from 24.1 in October to 21.2, its lowest level since the start of survey in 2006. This month's reading is the most negative outlook recorded since Creighton began the monthly survey in January 2006, Goss said. In other regional findings from the report, the farmland price index climbed to 66.7 from October's 55.6. Goss said that Creighton's survey continues to point to solid but slowing growth in farmland prices as farm commodity prices weaken. The Farm Equipment Sales Index improved slightly to 49.5 from last month's 48.0. The November Loan Volume Index dropped to 57.9 from October 77.7 and from a reading of 65.8 in November 2022. The Checking Deposit Index soared to 56 from 26.9 in the index for certificates of deposits and other savings instruments declined to 58 uh, from 59.6. The new hiring index for November slipped to 49.1 from October's 49.2. Goss said approximately 88.5% of bankers reported that job openings in their local economy exceeded the available workers. The Home Sales Index dropped to 32.0 from 40.4 in October. And finally, the Retail Sales Index slumped to 44.4 in November from 46.3 that was recorded in October. And a story from Adel, um, Adel-based education management company names Connor Harrington as its CEO. Cooter Incorporated, an education management company in Adel, appointed Connor Harrington as the organization's CEO effective November 14th. Harrington is succeeding his father, Phil Harrington, who created and led the company for 27 years. Phil Harrington will transition to chairman of the board. Connor Harrington most recently served as chief revenue officer and has held several other positions with the company in sales, marketing, and business intelligence. Before returning to Cooter in July 2020, he spent five years in various roles with EdTech organization College, Collegious Education. Connor Harrington first joined Cooter in 2013 as a business development representative and since his return has worked alongside his father. Cooter President Aaron Maroy in the Executive Council on Strategy, Operations, and Partnership Initiatives. Now we come to a uh, 
fairly regular column in the business record, and it's entitled What They're Checking Out the Week of November 24th. As an ongoing feature, staff members of the Des Moines Public Library will recommend a business-related book to add to your reading list. Find this and more books like it at any of the Des Moines Public Library's six locations and online at dmpl.org. And find information on how to get a free library card and all its benefits, and that's also on the Des Moines Public Library website. So the uh, Des Moines Public Library business book pick uh, for this week is Getting Along, How to Work with Anyone, Even Difficult People by Amy Gallo. And uh, they say this is why you should read it. Work relationships are often difficult, stressful, and can distract focus away from creativity and productivity in the office. Workplace expert and Harvard Business Review podcast host Amy Gallo's 2022 book on handling difficult work relations aims to be a practical guide to dealing with eight familiar types of coworkers, from the passive-aggressive peer to the know-it-all to the biased coworker and more. The book is a combination of relatable real-world examples, behavioral science research, and practical advice. And again, the name of that book is Getting Along. How to Work with Anyone, Even Difficult People, and the author is Amy Gallo. And another semi-regular feature of the business record is the column uh, People on the Move. So we'll take a look at some of the people who have moved to uh, new jobs here recently in central Iowa. First is Jason R. Smith uh, with the Weinhart Law Firm. He's been hired as an associate attorney. At the Hanson Company, Jeremy Harder has been promoted to vice president of operations. At uh, Tyler and Hagen PC, Brennan B. Eddy has um, been hired as the associate attorney. At Lockton, Trisha Guffey has been hired as learning immersion track team leader. Uh, also at Lockton, Courtney Cook has been hired as account executive. At Weiler, Megan Weiler Green has been promoted to the CFO, general counsel, and engineering manager. And at Children's Cancer Connection, Abby Coppola has been hired as an events manager at Children's Cancer Connection. And that's it for People on the Move for this week. Another business news this week from the business record. Mullets is going to open a new restaurant in Norwalk, the city of Norwalk, in conjunction with Sportsplex USA, Greg Young Sports Campus, Sportsman Solutions, and WB Realty Company. Announced a new Mullet's restaurant will be built at Norwalk Central with an anticipated opening in the summer of 2024. The restaurant will be located at the west end of the new Sportsplex USA building, and that's east of City State Bank Norwalk Fieldhouse. It will be the first occupant of the Sportsplex uh, Plex Norwalk Retail Building located on the north end of the Greg Young Sports Campus and will serve breakfast, lunch, and dinner daily. The atmosphere will include a family-friendly arcade and garage doors that will open to a patio. John Royer, the owner of Mullets, partnered with Reynolds and Sheila Kramer for the new location in Norwalk. Holly Zacek, Economic Development Director for the City of Norwalk, said in a statement, The City of Norwalk is incredibly excited to welcome this popular metro restaurant to our community. It's another fantastic and high-quality addition to the Norwalk central development and will provide great options for the residents and visitors to Norwalk year-round. And continuing with uh, this week's business record, the Iowa Economic Development Authority approves $1.5 million award for independence-based food manufacturers' new uh, food facility. 
The State Board also signed off on a total of $350,000 in loans for three startup companies. According to an investment summary news release, the Iowa Economic Development Authority, Independence Foods plans to purchase and retrofit an existing uh, pet food facility in Independence will be $14.75 million capital investment and is expected to create 229 jobs at $25.90 per hour. That wage level qualifies the company for state assistance. The board also approved a total of $350,000 in financing on November 17th to three startup companies, including a $250,000 Innovation Acceleration Launch Fund loan through the State Small Business Credit Initiative to a Des Moines-based brand awareness startup. Cedar Rapids-based startup FES Solutions, which develops a market-ready fire extinguisher stand for construction companies, was awarded a $50,000 Proof of Commercial Relevance loan for intellectual property development and evaluation, market analysis, proof of concept work, and market planning and entry activities. According to the Iowa Economic Development Authority release, the company's prototype has the potential to offer a more durable and lighter weight solution. 10.5 Incorporated was awarded a $50,000 POCR loan for its trucking industry communications platform that is intended to improve driver safety and fleet productivity and lower driver and dispatch turnover rates. The Iowa Economic Development Authority release says that the Des Moines-based startup uses a driver voice application that allows the driver to communicate hands-free using voice input only. It also allows dispatchers and managers to prioritize driver messaging, which is meant to reduce the number of driving delays and distractions. And finally, Hummingbirds, a Des Moines-based startup, received a $250,000 SSBCI award from the Iowa Economic Development Authority for its SSAAS Enabled Marketplace that helps brands find and work with local people to drive awareness and sales. According to the release, customers can create a campaign inside the software and their content creators called Hummingbirds expressed interest in the campaign. The state loan will assist the company in hiring key personnel. And we've reached the mid-break point here in this week's business record. You're listening to this week's edition of the business record. And our thanks to the folks at Business Publications for providing a copy of the business record to Iris so we can read it for you. If you have any comments on this or any other IRIS program, please give us a call at 515-243-6833. And now back to the November 30th edition of the Business Record. Jeremy Smith has been named the CEO of Affinity Credit Union. Uh, He will succeed Jim Dean as Affinity Credit Union CEO when Dean retires on January 31st, 2024. Smith, who's been Vice President of Lending for Affinity Credit Union since October of 2021, has over 10 years of experience in the credit union industry with a focus in regulatory compliance and risk. In addition to lending, or in addition to leading lending efforts, Smith oversaw collection retail branch operations within the credit union. Before joining Affinity Credit Union, Smith served in various roles, including Director of Client Partnerships, Compliance Manager, and Compliance Officer at ViClarity, which was formerly PolicyWorks LLC. Dean has served more than five years as Affinity CEO, 
Before joining the credit union in August 2018, he was the CEO of Oak Trust Union Credit Union for over 26 years. And next up, we have a, a column, I'm sorry, an article written by Kathy Bolton in the Business Record, and it's entitled, Making It Easier to Open a Small Business in Des Moines. Chef and restaurant owner Joe Tripp had hoped to have his newest eating establishment, Basic Bird, up and running last summer. But the new restaurant won't open until January, Tripp said, and the reason is the difficult and time-consuming process of maneuvering through a multitude of complex city procedures and requirements. Tip, an award-winning chef who owns and operates Harbinger and Little Brother Restaurant, said, I felt like I'd make one step forward and then take two steps backward. Tripp relayed his frustrations to Connie Bozen as she campaigned to become mayor of Des Moines. Bozen, who won the November 7th election, shared what she heard from Tripp and others with the city staff, prompting them to redesign a vacant position in the Economic Development Office. Last week, the city began advertising for an economic development project manager who will be responsible for helping small business owners navigate the maze of processes involved with plan development, development and review, permitting, and financial and other incentives. The full-time job will pay between $88,000 and $112,000 annually. Bolson opened her eyes to a need that we had within our own internal processes, said Matt Anderson, Des Moines City Assistant City Manager. We took this position and really tailored it specifically to helping small businesses work through our own processes. It can be daunting, particularly if English isn't your first language, coming to the city and having to learn all the zoning codes, fire codes, and state licensing that might be required. There are parking requirements, landscaping requirements, there's just a lot of different requirements. Before a new business owner submits a building plan to be reviewed by the city, the person must first go through a pre-application meeting, Anderson said. During that meeting, the business owner learns about a myriad of regulations and zoning requirements, including sewer, water, fire, traffic, zoning, and building codes. Anderson said, that can scare a lot of people. There are small businesses that come to that meeting and we never hear from them again. We don't know why, but we hope that it's not because our process has gotten in the way. The new project manager will help business owners navigate the process. Among the project manager's responsibilities will be helping match business owners' needs with city assistance programs and other funding sources, helping resolve development-related challenges, and facilitating discussions between business owners and city staff and others. The city is also seeking applicants who are fluent in two languages, although knowing a second language isn't mandatory according to the job description. Tripp applauds the city's move in creating the new position. If that had been in place when he began making plans for Basic Bird, a lot of headaches would have been avoided, he said. Over a year ago, Tripp announced plans to open Basic Bird on Beaver Avenue in a building that for nearly five decades had been home of Rice Bowl, which closed after its owner died. Tripp said, We thought that since the property had been operating as a restaurant, all we had to do was to upgrade some things. Uh, Tripp acquired the property and he leases the space for his two other restaurants. We didn't understand the whole process of going through a site plan, submittal, and all the other necessary pieces that would be required. When Tripp and his team submitted a site plan for review by the city, he said he was told renderings needed to be prepared by an architect. 
It took a week to get the necessary drawings, he said. The process went a lot slower than I would have liked it, Tripp said. He recently learned the redevelopment of the property may have qualified for the city's tax abatement program. He wonders whether there are other programs which the project would have been eligible. The process would have been easier if there was someone at the city who could answer questions and provide more detailed information, according to Tripp. I would have had a better idea of what a realistic time frame would have been to get the restaurant open. Time is money. In the future, having someone to talk to could save some people a lot of cost. Bozen, who will be sworn in as mayor on January 8th, understands Tripp's frustrations. For over 30 years, she has operated Appalachia's concession stands and later the salad bowl at the Iowa State Fair. Issues raised by people she talked with while campaigning for mayor were concerning, said Bolson, who is currently an at-large council member. She said it's especially difficult for people from other countries to start a business in Des Moines. You don't speak the language, you don't know the rules and regulations, how would you, she said. Bolson is encouraging officials to review city requirements to determine if there are obstacles making it difficult for small business owners to open new storefronts. Bozen emphasized that she doesn't want to lower city standards. However, she said she would like to see flexibility in some requirements. For example, Bolson said the city requires a certain amount of shrubbery or trees to be in place before a business opens. Instead of requiring all the plantings to be in place before an occupancy permit is issued, maybe only half can be planted with the remainder put in the ground within a year of opening, she said. Every day a small business isn't open, they aren't making money, Bozen said. Once the business is successful, they will reinvest. The deadline to apply for the job of Economic Development Project Manager is 4 o'clock, 4 p.m. I should say, on December 22nd. Interviews are expected to be held in January or February and someone hired by late in the first quarter, Anderson said. Now, a little bit more about the new restaurant that uh, Joe Tripp intends to open. It's called uh, Basic Bird. It'll serve Korean fried chicken and was created during the pandemic by uh, Tripp. He opened the restaurant out of the kitchen of a small plate restaurant, Harbinger, which is located on Ingersoll Avenue. Foods served by Harbinger weren't designed for carryout, so Tripp began making the fried chicken, which became popular. Basic Bird continues to operate out of Harbinger on Sundays, and now he expects it to open at 2607 Beaver Avenue in January, if all continues to go well. The Department of Management Division of Information Technology, formerly the Office of the Chief Administration Information Officer, is requesting public comment on Iowa's broadband equity access and deployment initial proposed plan. The initial proposal includes Iowa's proposed implementation of $415 million of broadband infrastructure funding through the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. The funds are being administered by the National Telecommunications and Infrastructure Administration. The proposal will provide a future broadband grant opportunity in Iowa that targets unserved and underserved locations. Public comments can be submitted on the website of the Department of Management until 11.59 p.m. on December 15th. Next up is a closer look at the new president and CEO of the Iowa Jobs for American Graduates. This is a story written by Sarah Dean of the Business Record. 
Just as she thought her career would be winding down, Wendy Mim Harold's aspiration of working for an organization with a statewide reach came true when she became president and CEO of Iowa Jobs for America's Graduate, or this acronym is IJAG, in January. For the 12 years before joining IJAG, Mim Harold served in and around her hometown in Northeast Iowa as vice president of business and community solutions for Northeast Iowa Community College. She said that in recent years, she took time to reflect on the efforts, uh, the effects of the pandemic on her life. Sitting on one of the trainings offered, sitting in on one of the trainings offered by the community college led her to realize she had the capabilities and desire to continue serving Iowa in a new way. Mim Harold said, I feel like this is what I want to do. I want to serve. I can use my knowledge, my talents, my skills to help more. Uh, to help move IJAG forward because of their mission of growth to expand our services, because of our mission to serve students, lifting up students who are underestimated to make sure that they have an opportunity for careers of academic success. And it's really about making a total impact. Throughout her career in the nonprofit and public sectors, she said she built up experience braiding together federal, state, local, and business resources and developing public-private partnerships to support workforce solutions and economic development. She said that that experience will help IJAG grow to grow its presence and impact across the state. The Iowa branch of the National Jobs for American Graduates program started in 1999, when former state education official Lori Phelan detected a gap between what was being taught in school and life outside of the classroom. Since then, the Des Moines-based nonprofit has partnered with Iowa schools to provide career development programming, including leadership training and career education services. As of June 2023, IJAG has 155 programs in middle and high schools across the state. Mim Herald plans to expand to 300 programs in the next three years. The organization is also honing in on its Drive to J initiative, which aims to ensure graduates of the ITAG program have an internship, apprenticeship, or other work experience as they take their next step toward employment uh, or further education. And the business record did a uh, question and answer interview with uh, Mim Harold, and here's uh, excerpts from that interview. What was your career path before coming to IJ? And Mim Harold answered, when I graduated in the 1990s from Iowa State, the unemployment rate was very high, so I became a professional volunteer. I worked for the Department of Corrections for one year, but then because of the financial crisis in the state, I was laid off. Then I became a professional volunteer again, ended up getting my substance abuse certification and became a substance abuse and mental health counselor at the Northeast Iowa Behavioral Health Center in Decorah. I did substance abuse counseling and started the first day treatment program for people who experienced brain health issues. I ran there for over five years and did case management. I was then recruited to be the executive director for a small nonprofit rehabilitation center called Spectrum Industries. I worked with individuals who experienced disabilities and helped them get rehabilitation training to get them into the workforce. Then I started going to Drake University for my master's in rehabilitation administration. I stayed in that field, but then I was recruited by Rob Denson to look at a position in Northeast Iowa Community College in Iowa Workforce Development, where I was the regional manager for the workforce system. I covered a 10-county area providing services to help businesses find employees and work with unemployment, veteran services, individuals who had financial needs, 
and he had children. When I worked there in the 1990s and into the 2000s, Northeast Iowa had had a number of layoffs, so I was working with individuals and helping them get the training through the community college so they can get into employment. A lot of my experience really stems from working in nonprofits, government, and the public areas. Next question they posed to her was, where is the need for IJAG to help businesses connect to students? What I learned from being in Northeast Iowa is that businesses want to be connected. We just need to help them figure out that connection and make it easy because everybody's busy running their business. The biggest part is about making sure to connect to students. Students are students and sometimes they're scared too. They don't know what to expect. The whole continuum of working on work-based learning is really making sure that they have the career awareness and making sure they have the preparation. It's really that exposure and relationship building, making sure that students have exposure, then making sure that they are seeking relevance in their education of why they're learning math and why they're learning science and communication skills and public speaking skills and how that can benefit them on the job. Then making sure that they see uh, the companies and to explore companies. IJAG doesn't serve all students. It serves students who have a want, need, and benefit and who experience barriers. A barrier can be impacted by poverty, can be impacted by parents just recently going through a divorce, and it's causing a lot of trauma in their life. It could be that they have a lack of work skills. It could be that they lack of knowledge of the world of work. It could be that they want to explore different career opportunities. It's a leadership program that teaches career readiness, provides work-based learning opportunities and civic skills, holistically looking at them so that they have the soft skills and employability skills. Next question, as you are the only second leader of IJAG in its 24 years, tell me about the leadership transition from Lori Phelan to you. One of the things that has helped me is because I've lived in this world. I haven't been at IJAG, but I lived in this world at Northeast Iowa Community College and have been engaged in the state. From Lori's extreme passion, she built a mansion, and now my job is to take that mansion to do some remodeling, enhancing the system because we're adding new programs within a short period of time. So it's really making sure that that growth strategy that we have, the personnel policies and strategic operating processes in place. Because we're a public-private partnership, it's making sure that we're continuing to expand on those partnerships of funding and looking at ways that we can braid other state and federal resources to get that expansion. I want IJAG to be a household name so there isn't a stigma that it's just an at-risk program or that it just isn't for students because we have students who are student-athletes, the valedictorians. Just like you and I can look at 100 people and you can't tell what's going on in their lives, it's really about helping them, and my hope is to have students come in and stay all years, or if they come in for one year and get that impact. Where my strengths come is in looking at how we be, can be collaborative with partnerships, that when we're doing student events, that we can bring in other students in the high school to participate with us, so that we're not a standalone program in the high school. It's about integration and partnerships. And the final uh, question they posed for her was, what are some words you live by? And Wendy Mim Harold said, my whole life is this one. If you're 70% sure about an idea, then go for it. If you wait until you're 100%, you'll never make a decision and never get anywhere. You got to get off the tarmac. You've got to get to that plane going. You have to know where you're going, but you've got to be willing to go off direction sometimes. You might have to wait on the tarmac for a little while, but you've got to be in forward projection. 
sometimes you have to use your gut, you have to use your instincts, and you got to use data. You have to move. I'm a firm believer of that. You keep on tweaking it as you move forward. Again, that was an interview with Wendy Min Harold, the new executive director of Iowa, uh, IJAG here in uh, Iowa. And a special feature of the business record is their Pillars of Philanthropy, and that uh, publication is out now. Um, and here's a little explanation about it. The nonprofit community is driven by purpose and desire to make a difference in the community. Each organization has a unique mission and niche in which they serve. But like all organizations, they face challenges in our changing world. For this year's Pillars of Philanthropy publication, eight nonprofit leaders wrote about how they're rising to the occasion to meet these challenges head on. Business Record also asked them to predict how philanthropy will change in the next five years. These eight leaders are just a sampling of the many organizations that make a difference in central Iowa. What the business record found out was that working with each letter, each leader on their letter was that despite drastically different missions and focuses, and that ranges from health to public radio to arts and culture, support for cancer survivors, youth homelessness, and at-risk children, refugee resources, and supporting other nonprofits, each leader illustrated common themes of creativity, open-mindedness, engagement, and innovation. And through their lessons, the business records hopes that the readers can better understand how to navigate their own unique barriers. This magazine is dedicated to celebrating the work of our nonprofit leaders who work to stay at the top of the game so they can best serve the community. So we have time today to read uh, one of these uh, letters that was written by a nonprofit leader, and we'll do that now. And today we'll read from uh, Addressing a Growing Need. This is written by Chris Cadale. He's the president of Above and Beyond Cancer. And he writes, one of the most significant philanthropic challenges faced by the cancer community in general and by Above and Beyond Cancer specifically is how to build programming to address the increased incidence rate of cancer and rising number of cancer survivors in Iowa. The Iowa Cancer Registry at the University of Iowa has been tracking cancer cases, survival rates, and deaths from cancer in the state since 1973. In its 2023 Cancer in Iowa report shows that the cancer incidence rate in Iowa is very high. However, the better news is that more Iowans are surviving the disease as fewer people are dying from cancer. The facts outlined in the 2023 Cancer in Iowa report show these things. One, Iowa is the only state with a significant increase in cancer incidence from 2015 to 2019 and has the second highest overall cancer incidence of all 50 states. Iowa ranks first among all 50 states for rates of new cases of oral cavity uh, cancer is in the top five for leukemia and melanoma. The cancer mortality has decreased over time, likely due to decreased smoking, available screenings, advances in treatment. Survival rates in Iowa have improved since the 1970s with more than 164,000 cancer survivors currently living in Iowa. The Iowa Cancer Registry estimates that there will be 20,800 new cases of cancer diagnosed in 2023. A more local focus tells us that estimates that a little more than 5,000 people in Polk County and the contiguous counties will be told they have cancer in 2023. That is two times the capacity crowd at the Civic Center or near capacity crowd at Drake's Knapp Center. 
The brighter side of the cancer conversation is that the Iowa Cancer Registry estimates that there are 164,000 cancer survivors in our state and more than 37,000 in Polk County and the contiguous counties. The best news here is that the number keeps growing and many of these people are long-standing survivors who have not had any evidence of cancer for more than 10 years. What should cause us to curb our enthusiasm a bit, though, is that this number includes a growing number of people who have incurable cancer and are thus living with cancer for the rest of their lives, much like the people do with MS or diabetes. These facts and estimates illustrate a real challenge for the state of Iowa and specifically for above and beyond cancer. Our staff of four and board of 23 members are driven to serve a rapidly growing population of cancer survivors and their caregivers as we deliver on our mission of elevating the lives of those who are touched by cancer to create a healthier world. Above and Beyond Cancer may be best known for our annual transformational journeys where we take survivors and caregivers to amazing places where they experience life-changing challenges such as climbing Mount Kilimanjaro as a team of 31 survivors and caregivers did back in June. Our most widely impactful program are our weekly and regular programs where survivors and caregivers become educated, get stronger, and begin to thrive in one or more of our 16 regular mind-body-spirit classes that are held at locations across the metro area, such as local YMCA locations, Mercy One Health and Fitness, Waterworks Park, Greenward Park, and local trails. To specifically help those survivors who are just finishing with their treatment, are those caregivers who have let their own good health deteriorate as they spent their days caring for the loved ones who was on the cancer journey, we now offer Recovery Plus Beyond, which is done in a pool to help buoy the participants to make exercise a bit easier. Our urban pole walking classes have grown dramatically in the last two years as participants discover that using these poles for walking helps them gain back significant strength. To further address the increased number of newly diagnosed and long-term survivors above and beyond cancer has evolved our offerings to better meet people where they are. For example, our weekly cancer education series is hosted by Dr. Richard Deming, our founder and the medical director of the Mercy One Richard Deming Cancer Center. We started the program decades ago as in-person at the Mercy One Health and Fitness in Clive. Now we still offer it live, but we also live stream the hour-long program and make it into both an audio and video podcast that can be viewed by people from far and wide. This new delivery system has become very popular. For example, during a recent show, there were 12 people in attendance live, but more than twice that many streaming the program, and 300 plus who watched or listened to podcasts in just one week. As the incidence rate of cancer continues to move upward, the number of cancer survivors in our state continues Uh, continues to grow, all charities connected to cancer have worked to successfully address how to increase programming for survivors and caregivers to continue to elevate the lives of those touched by cancer. And Business Record asked Chris, how do you see philanthropy efforts changing in the next five years? And Chris said, the world of philanthropy will become more crowded, thus more difficult to support. The number of charities has grown in recent years, and that trend is continuing. The good news is that people with needs are being served. The bad news is that cancer that causes will struggle to retain the funding that they need. The way to solve this issue is to get involved with the fundraising efforts at your favorite charity. 
People are much more likely to give to the charity that is important to one of their friends and to a fundraising professional, no matter how good we are. And again, this was an interview with Chris Goodale from Above and Beyond Cancer as part of the Business Records' uh, new publication, Pillars of Philanthropy. Elsewhere in this November 30th edition of the Business Record, Boys and Girls Clubs of Central Iowa set a new fundraising record, raising nearly $5 million during its annual celebrations earlier this month. According to officials with the organization, the fundraising was supported by a surprise $4 million gift by Boys and Girls Clubs of Central Iowa trustee and event co-chair Susie Glazer-Burt, who made the donation in memory of her late sister and longtime club supporter Ellie Glazer-Ziegler. More than 500 people came together on November 17th at Drake University's Knapp Center to celebrate club members, founders, their families, and community supporters. It marked the organization's 60th anniversary. Tony Tim, Boys and Girls Club of Central Isle CEO, said, It was a testament to the incredible vision of our founders 60 years ago and the lasting impact they have within Des Moines. Our mission would not be possible without the dedicated support and kindness of this community. The Iowa Women's Foundation, to hold the first Iowa Solutions Summit, the Iowa Women's Foundation will host its first Iowa Solutions Summit focusing on one of six barriers facing Iowa women, and that's child care. The summit will be held 9 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. on December 6th at the Prairie Meadows Events and Conference Center in Des Moines. The event will feature six breakout sessions led by experts with solutions to address child care shortages, ranging from school district and business partnerships to wage enhancement and on-site child care programs. In 2016, the Iowa Women's Foundation identified access to child care as the most crucial barrier to women's self-sufficiency. It has received both state and national recognition for its efforts to combat the child care desert and expand accessibility to affordable quality child care. According to a news release, the upcoming Iowa Solutions Summit underscores and extends the Iowa Women's Foundation's commitment to the child care industry. In past years, which includes efforts such as partnering with business leaders across the state in 2018 to form the Iowa Business and Child Care Coalition, and also help lead the Building Community Child Care Solutions Collaborative and serving on Go Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds' Child Care Task Force and hiring a full-time employer engagement director, uh, Sherry Penny. Uh, you can explore the agenda and see session details and register for uh, early bird tickets at the Iowa Women's Foundation website. And that brings us to the end of our weekly reading of the business record. Uh, you've been listening to the business record on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and Print Handicap. It's been my pleasure to read for you. I'm Pat Steele, and thank you for sharing your time with IRIS. I look forward to reading the business record again next week. Thank you.